A warm and friendly hello, welcome to lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Pierce, and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and we've got a great podcast for you today. Wound up going guest-free today because I am actually moving out of my current apartment, so I have had a very wild and crazy day along with hosting the Greg Peterson Experience from 1 to 4 a.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, so we've got ourselves a rambunctious and jam-packed day, so wound up going no guest today because I also did wind up having quite a bit in the Twitter mailbag. I've had quite a few people asking me the teams that I've adjusted the most upon with regards to my power rankings and being part of the season, so we're going to be answering that and a few other questions that you guys have fired in as well, so we're going to be hitting on that in the second segment. And if you do ever want me to answer a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you on this podcast, you're able to fire these in one of two ways. First way is my Twitter timeline at GNRS41. Keep in mind, letters here. They mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. So always be sure to fire those in, and in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every single game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. Wound up seeing a very rambunctious day of college basketball on Saturday, so let's take a look at everything that we wound up seeing. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. It was a day of powers being able to dominate on neutral courts and ugly underdogs in true home-slash-road games being able to come through as well. Purdue led off the day by just completely bludgeoning Butler by a count of 77-48. Purdue looking like a top-five team in all of college basketball still. They wind up going 11-22 from three-point range. Butler, they went 4-28 of from distance. They couldn't hit water if they fell out of a vote. They wound up committing just seven turnovers in this game, which makes their 48 all the sadder. But you take a look at Purdue. They wound up winning the rebound battle by a count of 42-27 to as Trayvon Williams actually started in this game and Zach Eady had 14 points and 11 boards off the bench. So they looked relatively solid and also looking relatively solid Gonzaga, a team that I still feel like with regards to talent is the number one team in all of college basketball. Obviously, the two losses aren't great, but they played a very good defensive game in this one. 69-55 to as they went 13-31 of from three-point range. Rajir Bolton was able to give the team 15 points, and then Andrew Nemard did a great job in the backcourt. 16 points, 6 assists to 1 turnover. Chet Holmgren 11 boards, 5 points, 2 blocks, and then for Texas Tech, 6-19 of from three-point range. A big thing for them is that they tried to control the tempo, and they did a good job of it. They just weren't able to put the ball in the basket. Kevin McCuller, Adonis Arms, both were able to give you 14 points, and McCuller chipped in their 10 rebounds, but Gonzaga wins a rebound battle in this one. Gonzaga did a good job of being able to get through the free throw line. When Texas Tech got to the free throw line, they went 7 of 13 there, so that was far from terrific, and what else is far from terrific? St. John's right now. They wound up playing this game without Julian Champagny, and that was a big issue as they lose up Pittsburgh by a count of 59 to 57. That is a unacceptable loss, considering Pittsburgh has already lost on their home floor to the Citadel by double figures, and what was able to get Pittsburgh the win, Jamarius Burton, 20 points, 4 rebounds, Mamadou Gay as well, 15 points, 3 blocks, St. John's, 6 of 18 from 3-point range, but they weren't able to generate the same amount of turnovers that they typically do, 18 is still not too bad, but it was certainly a case in which Pacha Alexander had to try to do a little bit of everything, he had 5 seals, 5 assists, 7 rebounds, but only 11 points on 5 of 14 shooting, and St. John's, 7 of 14 at the free throw line, if you're looking for the big reason why they wound up losing, that coupled with Pittsburgh, going 23 of 28 at the free throw line. 
Illinois launches completely rocking and rolling St. Francis of Pennsylvania. 106-48 as you want to have Kofi Coburn get 21 points and 11 rebounds in 26 minutes. Just a hilariously good effort from Illinois. 18-34 from three-point range. You want to having St. Francis commit just nine turnovers in this game. So they were efficient there, but Illinois wins a rebound battle by a count of 44-27. This game was just flat-out domination. South Florida continues their run of unders. They have yet to play an over this season. 66-55. They cover but they wind up taking the loss to Florida for Florida. Colin Castleton looks solid in this game. 12 points, 11 rebounds. He chipped in there a block, but for Florida, 8 of 26 for three-point range. South Florida, 2 of 11. They have both been doing a good job of being able to guard the arc and unable to put the ball in from outside the arc, so they have been very good to unders this season. TCU has been a solid team with regards to being able to cover for much of the season. They take down Georgetown by a count of 80 to 73 for Georgetown. 8 of 23 from three-point range. They've been actually relatively solid on the offensive end, but on defense, they are right now featured. 11 of 26 is what TCU wanted going from three-point range. Mike Miles, 20 points in this one. Chuck O'Bannon chipped in there, 15.7 boards. And for Miles, he also doled out five assists with three steals in this game as well. And for Georgetown, they did wind up committing just 11 turnovers. And you did wind up getting a double-double out of Aminu Muhammad, 21 points, 11 rebounds. Problem is, this is a team that when they don't wind up having Mr. Caden Rice be on his game, and he had 14 points in this one, this has been a backcourt that has not necessarily been able to produce. Virginia, they were able to produce a nice winning cover as they just completely destroyed Fairleigh Dickinson 82-49. to Biggest takeaway is that Fairleigh Dickinson is right now a bottom 10 team in all of college basketball. They are absolutely terrible. They're up there with Mississippi Valley State who wound up just getting completely bludgeoned by Nichols. I mean, this was one in which they wound up giving up north of 100 points in this game. 104 to 73 as this was a spread that was right around 23 and a half. Robert Carpenter did wind up giving Mississippi Valley State 23 points, but they're looking like a bottom 10 team in all of college basketball. Georgia Tech, they're looking like a team that is going to have a little bit of a rough time of it this year. They wind up losing to a solid USC team by kind of 67 to 53 for USC. 9 of 19 from three-point range. They did a great job of being able to clean up the glass as well, winning that battle by a count of 42 to 34. Michael DeVoe has been solid for this Georgia Tech team all season long. He had 25 points, but problem is nobody else has been able to produce around him. Meanwhile, for USC, all five starters wanted giving the team at least 11 points in this one, so you can tell it was a much more of a balanced attack. And for Georgia Tech, only seven turnovers in this one compared to USC's 13. And USC, they've had a tough time at the free throw line all year long. They go 8 of 13 there, but still able to get it done against Georgia Tech. Marquette had a little bit of a hairy one against Xavier, but they were able to get the cover by a count of 80 to 71 as Xavier gets the all right win. And Zachary Mantle starting to look like his normal self. Eight points, nine boards, three assists. And what was really good for Xavier, they wound up having off the bench a combined 35 points, including Jack Dunge, 13 points, 12 boards. He's right now looking like the best player on this team, by the way. And for Marquette, you did have Daryl Marcel be able to chip in there 14.6 boards. And Justin Lewis, 15 points, 7 boards. So Marquette was able to hang in there enough to be able to get the cover. Western Kentucky, they pull off a nice upset as a home underdog by a count of 82 to 72. For Louisville, I just have not bought into the team all season long. And they just continue to look a little bit rough with their backcourt. And this is even while they went 13 of 36 from three-point range. Noah Locke was able to give the team 20 points. So he did a solid job off the bench. Mason Faulkner, probably his best game of the season. He wound up having 12 points, three assists, and one turnover. But for Western Kentucky, they wind up shooting 50% from the floor. They actually took 16 fewer shot attempts than Louisville, but they got to the free throw line. 25 and 31. Louisville went 5 and 7. Might have been a little bit of home cooking there, but off the bench, he wound up having Josh Anderson be able to give the team a double double with 13 points, 10 boards. So that wound up leading the way 
for Western Kentucky. You wind up having Indiana be able to get a winning cover in the Crossroads Classic against Notre Dame by kind of 64 to 56. The other game in that one was Purdue. Just wound up kicking the tar out of our good friends Butler. So you wound up seeing some fascinating games out there. Not a lot of scoring. Saw a lot of scoring with Missouri, though. A team that has looked like one of the worst Power 5 teams in all of college basketball. They got a win against Utah by kind of 83 to 75 for Missouri. They've been a featured three-point shooting team, and that continued. Four of 21 from three-point range, but what they did a good job of, they won the turnover battle by a count of 12 to 6. They won the rebound battle 41 to 33 as Kobe Brown channeled his inner black mamba as he wound up having 27 points, six boards, won 11 of 13 at the free throw line. Meanwhile for Utah, Booth Gotch and Marco Anthony were able to combine for 31 points, 13 boards, but really outside of David Jenkins Jr. coming in off the bench, this Utah team really didn't have a whole heck of a lot, and it's a Utah team that I feel like is a little bit hit or miss. Providence is a team that they have been hitting on all cylinders all season long, and they are now 11-1, and and they deserve to be ranked in the top 25, 57-53. When I talk about teams that have risen up my power rankings in the next segment, you are certainly going to hear Providence. Now, Providence, they need to shoot better than 6-14 at the free throw line, but they actually did a good job on the glass, losing that battle by kind of 43-40, to but understandable against this UConn team. Now, UConn has been dealing with a couple injuries. Odama Sanogo was not in this game, but Tyrese Martin is, and Tyrese Martin actually gave a relatively solid effort in this game. He wound up being able to pump in their 15 points, so he was able to do a solid job for this UConn team, but when it comes to UConn, what wound up happening with this team as well is that they just weren't able to first turnovers on this Providence bunch. Providence, just seven turnovers, so they did a great job of being able to protect the ball, and for UConn, they wound up going eight of 29 from three-point range, and from inside the arc as well, 11 of 32, so Providence's defense was just completely on point. UAB, they completely melted down the stretch against West Virginia as they wind up losing this game by a count of 65 to 59. UAB was actually leading in this game by a count of 52 to 44 with about seven minutes left to go. And then from there, West Virginia was able to put on a run as West Virginia goes just two of 13 from three-point range, 17 of 27 at the free throw line. But how they won this game is that they forced UAB into 15 turnovers. UAB has been one of the best teams with regards to turnover rate in all of college basketball. Their turnovers versus another team's turnovers. But UAB has as well, 4 of 21 from 3-point range. Jordan Walker, 1 of 9 from distance. That wound up costing the seam. And for West Virginia, Ted Sherman was the best scorer on the floor. 17 points. Critical for a West Virginia team that has only lost once thus far this season. Kentucky and North Carolina played out here in lovely Las Vegas. And boy, oh boy, North Carolina has some work to do. 98-69. to 69. Kentucky curb stomps them for Oscar Sheboy, 16 points, 12 rebounds. Kentucky goes 8 of 15 from three-point range. They win the rebound battle by kind of 44 to 26 for North Carolina. They do only turn the ball over 12 times in this game, and you did have Armando Baco be able to give you 22 points, 10 rebounds, but they also went 1 of 13 from three-point range. Kentucky just looked like a top-five team in this game at all of college basketball. I've got them just outside my top five, but certainly Kentucky is a team that is going to be a force to be reckoned with moving forward. Arizona is certainly going to be as well. The only reason why Cal Baptist wound up covering this game, because the line was right around 27.5 on the close, is because Cal Baptist wound up going 6 of 6 to begin the game, including 5 of 5 from threes. Then from there, Arizona was really able to do a good job of locking down on defense as you wound up seeing Cal Baptist go 3 of their last 22 from 3. Arizona just a terrific bunch of G- general Christian Coloco. 12 points, 10 rebounds, 4 blocks. Azula Sabellas, 19 points, 5 assists, 7 rebounds. Another ho-hum 24-point win for Arizona I know that's out of cover, but still, this is looking like one of the best teams in all of college basketball. Houston barely gets a cover against Oklahoma State. 72-61 on a 9-point spread as you wind up seeing Oklahoma State do a relatively solid job of making this game very close late. They were down by 2 with about 4.5 minutes 
left. So this was a tough beat. If you, like me, wound up dressing in Oklahoma State, it's Oklahoma State 3 of 19 from three-point range. Houston 11 of 25 from three. Now Houston, they went 17 of 30 at the free throw line and very nearly blew it there. But for Houston as well, they win the rebound battle like on 39 to 35. And for Oklahoma State, their lack of a key score was big in this game. Bryce Williams was able to give the team 17 points and five seals. But certainly you can tell that Oklahoma did not wind up having that go-to score late. So that wound up hurting them. LSU, they weren't able to get the cover, but they were able to claw their way back against Louisiana Tech after a rough first half. They were able to get the win by a count of 66 of 57 for Louisiana Tech. They actually got up 14 to 3 in this game. LSU had a battle back from there, and for LSU, they wound up doing a great job towards the end of this game. They were down 55 to 52 with about seven minutes left to go. Louisiana Tech scores two points in the final seven plus minutes. Louisiana. Tech found out why LSU is currently number one in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis and Darius saves. 13 points, 18 rebounds, Atari Eason. 21 points, 8 boards off the bench. Now, got to give it up to Big Sexy, Kyle Lofton. 13 points, 7 rebounds. I call him Big Sexy because he looks like Bartolo Colon, but for Louisiana Tech, just 7-29 from 3-point range. LSU is allowing opponents to shoot right around 33.4% overall this season. It's absolutely remarkable. Michigan has certainly had a rough go of it this season, but they were able to get a nice win and cover against the other Utah by a count of 87 to 50. Southern Utah is a little bit of a hit or miss team. 4 of 23 from three point range. If the three pointers aren't falling, they are a team that they are very prone to getting bludgeoned, but about Hunter Dickinson. 22 points, 10 boards. He missed both of his threes, but certainly was able to do a great job for this Michigan team. And for Michigan, they cut down on the turnovers. Just 11 turnovers in this game, so that was very critical and something that you do like to see there. Wound up seeing a little bit of a rock fight out in the great state of Arizona. Grand Canyon winds up being able to take down San Francisco. 49 to 48 as you just wound up seeing both of these teams give you a big giant turd on offense. Both had 15 turnovers. San Francisco actually wins a rebound battle by a count of 42 to 40, but you've got to love what you saw out of Ivan Odriogo, the transfer from Nebraska. 16 rebounds for Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon, they go 6 of 17 from three-point range. San Francisco just 3 of 17 and also 3 of 6 at the free throw line. So if you're looking at why San Francisco wound up losing this game, free throw shooting, it is clear that Tom Green continues to ride the coattails of Dwayne Wade to be able to keep his job as George Mason takes down Georgia by a count of 80 to 67. Now, obviously, you've got a relatively solid team here in George Mason, but my goodness, the fact that Tom Green still has a job is very much bad. What else is very much bad? Oregon State still has one win. They got completely destroyed by Texas A&M. Oregon State, now on their home floor, has lost to UC Davis. They wound up losing to Princeton. They wind up losing a game which they were favored into Tulsa. They lost to Sam I. Amford on their home floor. This is a team that is just absolutely terrible right now. They were actually a top five cover team over the last three years in all of college basketball coming into the season. Boy, that has not been the case this season. You also wound up seeing Alabama get an unexpected test from Jacksonville State. They were able to get the job done there, but unable to get the cover. They were able to get the outright win in Kansas. Wound up going to the wire with Stephen F. Austin. Stone Cold Stephen F. Austin did a terrific job of being able to cause turnovers against Kansas as Kansas wound up having 14 turnovers in the first 35 minutes of this game. And for Stone Cold Stephen F. Austin, Gavin Kensman wound up having a double-double in this game. Do not sleep on the Lumberjacks who are now out there in the whack. They are going to be a force in Hofstra. They wind up going to Little Rock. Not technically a true road game, but pretty much it was a road game. And they wind up being able to take down Arkansas. Arkansas following up that loss to Oklahoma. Certainly has not been looking as stellar as you'd like them to be. And when it comes to trying to find trends in all of college basketball, we haven't necessarily seen anything demonstrative.
tip with regards to overs and unders, as right now, about 50.8% of games have been going under this season. You've been seeing home underdogs playing at about a 50-50 clip against the spread. I do think that that's going to be taking up a little bit, especially when we wind up getting into conference play in. One team that's been very solid for you, BYU. They wound up taking it to Weaver State. They wound up playing a very massive over. They were able to get up 20 with about three minutes left to go. Alex Barcelo and company went 16 out of their first 25 from three-point range. Barcelo made five out of his first six threes, and this is a BYU team that has actually been one of the better ones at being able to guard the three-point arc themselves, holding Weaver State to seven out of their first 25 from distance. So that's what we all noticed from college basketball on Saturday. Now, let's take a look at what I've been noticing this year with regards to my power rankings, where I've had to adjust a little bit with teams that have outperformed what I thought that they were going to this year, and teams that have been a little bit more lowly performed. And I know that some of you guys have a few questions with regards to when a line is relatively tight on what I want up saying the game, so I'm going to be answering those questions next, right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Gabe Spearson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. And we're back here, lovely Las Vegas, for Ghost Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Eapspears, and wound up going with no guests today. A little bit 
of a strange day for me as I am handicapping, I am doing a show on VSIN, and I am moving all on the same day. So I figured I would save myself a little bit of time as I've got a little bit of a wonky day. And we did wind up getting in a couple questions into the Twitter mailbag that I did want to dive into as well. So we're going to do that right here in the second segment. So you have questions and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Going to be hitting on the teams I've moved the most with regards to my power rankings in a minute. But first things first, did wind up getting in a really solid question towards the evening time yesterday from a good follower of mine, David. He's at D underscore Mo15. He's actually a very good guy. I always appreciate him chiming in. And he asks, if I've got two books available to me, and let's say I wound up setting a line of, we're going to spitball here, Syracuse minus five is the example that he said. If there's one that offers a minus four and a half and one that offers a minus five and a half, and this actually does happen quite a bit when lines move in the AM, how do I wind up gauging that? And it is a little bit of a by field thing because obviously I see a little bit of an edge both ways and when it comes down to it for one I want to be trying to gauge which way I think the line is moving because if I think that the four and a half is just going to be there for like a few minutes and let's say that I think that Syracuse winds up getting up to like minus six, minus six and a half, then you'd be seeing a little bit more of a differential than you'd have with a minus four and a half. So there's that aspect of it as well, being able to track so many of these books with things like live odds via Don Best screen. I do think it's very important when it comes to this, but if I think that it's going to be relatively equal like this instance, a lot of times it winds up coming down to, do I think that the team is going to be able to do a good job at the free throw line? If I'm taking an underdog, it would be a little bit less. So let's say I was deciding if I want to make an line 13 between 12 and a half and 13 and a half, that's a little bit less of one, but this is a prime example of it where I think free throw shooting is just so important because like Syracuse laying four and a half points, you actually feel good about them if they're up like five points with a minute left to go. They shoot as a collective over 75% the free throw line. If this would be USC, for instance, and they shoot about 58% the free throw line, then I would have a little bit more trepidation and I'd be more willing to take the points. So hopefully that clears it up for you. It is one of those things in which it's situation by situation and every better is a little bit different when it comes to this. I myself wind up just gauging this by the situation itself. Do I think that we're going to be seeing late game following in a contest where you do wind up having a single digit line? Things like this. So that's the way that I gauge it. Always a little bit different, but certainly do have some protocols in place. And I know that many of you guys have been asking what teams have moved the most with regards to my power rankings. And you actually saw quite a few of them on display yesterday. And most of them actually looked relatively good with the ones that I dipped a little bit. Gonzaga, I thought was pretty much four points clear of every other team in college basketball coming into the season. I still think with regards to talent and talent alone, they're the best team in all of college basketball and I was willing to lay the points with Gonzaga. I made them a 10-point favorite. It opened up at 8.5, so I thought that the move up to 10 on the close was very appropriate, but they're a team that I've had to pretty much pushed down by essentially three and a half to four points from the rest of the field. So that has been a big mover with regards to my handicap. St. John's is a team that I am starting to sell around as well. They wind up losing outright to Pittsburgh. I thought that there was a chance that they could be the second best team out there in the Big East. They have wound up sinking down the list a little bit as well. Obviously, Purdue has risen up as well because I thought that Michigan was a tad bit better than Purdue. So Michigan has certainly shrunk. They wound up having a very nice win against Southern Utah. So they're beginning to regain a little bit of confidence. They look solid against San Diego State but they're still a little bit of a hit or miss team themselves. But with Purdue, they are a team that I wound up having coming into the year a top 10 team. I wasn't necessarily even buying them as a top five team. Now I think that it's really they, Gonzaga, Arizona is certainly up there as well. They weren't able to cover, but I mean, that's because Cal Baptist wound up hitting their first five threes of the game, which is the only reason why they did not wind up covering Kansas as well. So it's a little bit more of a hodgepodge. I really don't have one clear number one at this point because I've got like Gonzaga, Purdue, Arizona, sort of as a 1A, 1B, 1C, 
see Baylor is in there as well. I'm doing this prior to the Baylor versus Oregon game personally because I'm getting set for the Greg Peterson experience, which you're able to hear on VEASAN from 1 to 4 a.m. Eastern every Saturday and Sunday on the Vegas Heads and Information Network, and I'll be actually filling in quite a bit with regards to that time slot throughout the week this week, so be sure to keep your eyes on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1 for that, but their team that I've adjusted quite a bit. Duke is a team that has one of my rankings as well. I thought that they'd be more like 8 to 10th in my power rankings. Now I've got them in my top five. They wound up having another impressive win against Elon. I think that this is a team that is going to be very solid this year, so they have wound up trending upward. USC as well. When it comes to the Pac-12, it's been really interesting because USC and Arizona have certainly climbed in. Oregon has been one of the biggest shrinkers all season long. Now, I do think that Oregon is going to be able to find it a little bit more, and it's something I talk about on this podcast. There are certain teams that you got to handicap them a little bit differently towards the beginning part of the season to the end part of the season. Oregon is certainly one of them. We've seen them time and time again lose games that they have no business losing towards the beginning part of the season. Then towards the back half, they're able to do a much better job, but they're a team that I've been a little bit more sour on. Marquette is a team that has been rising up as well. They didn't wind up winning against Xavier on Saturday, but they were able to cover the spread in that game, so they're a team that I didn't really have a lot of expectations for. Shaka Smart seems to be doing a solid job, and I feel like bookmakers might be starting to overrate them a little bit too much. I saw that in the UCLA game with that spread being 7. I disagreed with it a tab, but they have been rising up just a little bit with regards to my rankings. Washington State is a team that I was expecting a little bit more from. They got a nice one over Northern Colorado, but they've been shrinking a little bit. UConn Prior to yesterday, they were rising up as well in Providence. How about them being risers? This is a team that I thought was going to be okay. I thought that they'd be a bubble team for the NCAA tournament. They are looking like, in my opinion, a top 25 team at this point. They are really a rolling, so I have been highly impressed by what I've been seeing out of them. And then another team that is shrinking, a team that we wound up seeing on display yesterday, St. Bonaventure. I thought that they were going to be a team that would be a fringe top 25 team. I felt like they were maybe getting a little bit too much love in comparison to some of these mid-majors, but I certainly thought that they'd be stout. And when it comes to totals especially, I've had to adjust to them because this is typically one of the slower teams in all of college basketball. They've not given up 70 plus points in five out of their last six games I've wrapped up in regulation so there's certainly a team that I'm starting to sell around and when it comes to teams with regards to totals LSU I've had to shade their totals way way lower I mean they have played every one of their games under the season it has been absolutely insane to see what they've been able to do and with regards to my power rankings as well they're another team that has been able to rise up them Houston is a team that I thought was going to be good this year I didn't think that they'd be quite this good because I thought it would be really Bay and Memphis for that one and two spots out there in the American I want a picking in the preseason Houston just because I always have the Ric Flair mentality in order to be the champ. You've got to beat the champ. And I thought that Houston had a little bit of a leg up just because I didn't trust in Penny Hardaway's coaching, but eh, clearly it's on display right now as Memphis was able to get a nice one over Alabama a couple days ago. And Alabama's actually stayed relatively stagnant because they've had some tough losses and they've had some good wins. So they're a team that I haven't had to adjust to too much. But if you're looking for a mid-major that I've had to adjust on as well, how about Astra? I thought that they were going to be solid coming into the year as Astra ever since the beginning of the 2018-19 season. They have actually the best cover rate in all of college basketball. They have really been able to do a great job this year. You take a look at what they were able to do against Arkansas yesterday. They got another cover in that game, so I like what I'm seeing there. If you're looking for another team I bearish on, Oregon State, I mean, that goes without saying. I thought that they were a little bit of a fraud after making their Elite Eight run last year. I didn't think that they were quite that good. I thought they would be a little bit better than having won one game to this point this season, though. I mean, losing on your home floor to teams like UC Davis, Princeton, I mean, and it's just a big, giant calamity right there. They're low win is against Portland State, who Portland State just absolutely stinks as well. So you take a look at the landscape of college basketball. We are seeing quite a bit of moving and shaking. And when it comes to teams, I've had to shade up and shade down with regards to their totals as well. Fordham is certainly 
one that is another that I've shaded up with regards to the Turtles. I thought that they'd be a good over team coming into the year with Kyle Neptune coming in from Villanova. That certainly has been the case with them. Kansas going into yesterday, they had played just one under this season and they wound up playing another pretty fanatic game against Stephen F. Austin, a team that has always been relatively solid on defense, but has been a little bit more hit or miss on offense. They are really hitting on offense. Defense has been a little bit more suspect this year, so I've had to adjust on that a little bit. Iowa is a team that I've had to adjust up with regards to my power rankings a little bit as well. And Utah State, whenever they're fully healthy as well, is a team that I've been impressed by. And obviously, when it comes to what you're seeing out of North Carolina, they're a team that I just feel like it's still one of the biggest mysteries in all of college basketball. So those are some of the teams that I've had to adjust quite a bit with with regards to my power rankings. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that little spiel. And if you guys have anything else that you ever want added to the podcast, because I'll probably have to do a couple more podcasts without guests with the upcoming week, because obviously Christmas is coming up and you always want people to be enjoying time with their family, friends, loved ones, whatever. You've got one or two ways we offer those in. Twitter timeline at Jaren's41. Keep in mind, letters DM. The me doesn't matter. And the other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. Rate this podcast five stars. It is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast by the five star review. So hopefully you enjoyed this edition of the Twitter mailbag. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you a signed total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps, in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. And we're back here above you, Las Vegas, for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops And always a pleasure to be able to give you guys a little bit of insight today. Wound up not having an interview just because 
Well, we are right now in a little bit of transition as I'll officially be in Henderson, Las Vegas relatively soon. So we're going to need to make that change here. I'll probably be still calling it lovely Las Vegas throwing myself. But with that said, hopefully you guys enjoyed that segment. And if you ever have any suggestions, anything that you want me to address on the podcast, as per usual, fire those in at unit underscore 81 on Twitter or leave a five-star review via Apple Podcasts. And more than happy to give you guys whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Now it is that time of this podcast. They give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday. As we hit some bank shots, the normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. You note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at Jaren Scorty1. Gonna be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits first, and then the extra games, the games with six digits, those are gonna be coming at the bottom. And the reason why I go in this order is for one, it is actually somewhat close to time order, and for two, it is actually how a lot of these websites, how a lot of these books wind up listing a lot of these games as well, which is why I wind up doing what I do. So let's start out with that first game of 731, 732 on the bang board. Fairfield, it's the road to face off against UMass. The Minutemen hope to last more than a minute in this game as they are six point favorites in your total on this game. It is 147. Fairfield has been a cover machine so far this season. They have been 9-1 against the spread. I have faded them a couple too many times so far this season, and I'm not going to do that this time because I did wind up making them a five-point underdog. I don't know if they're going to be able to pull this game off outright, but you take a look at what Supreme Cook is able to do down low. Ten points, seven and a half boards, a guy that's able to shoot right around 60% from the floor. He has been rock solid for this team, and you've got a UMass team that they do not do a good job on the glass as Trent Buttrick is right now their top rebounder, right around four and a half rebounds per game, and well, the Buttrick is trying to be the caboose of this team down low. He's been able to shoot 32% from three, so you've got a little bit of versatility, and that was a bad butt joke, but you've got also Noah Fernandez along with Rich Kelly out there in the backcourt. I do like both of these guys. They're able to combine for 29 points. You've got Kelly giving out right around three and a half assists per game. Fernandez more around five and a half assists per game, and both guys shoot over 40% from three. UMass is a collective. They shoot 41.2% from distance. They don't turn the ball over a lot. 11 turnovers per game, but you've got a Fairfield team that they themselves are able to play a relatively solid style as well as they shoot 35% from three, 10.4 turnovers per game. You've got Fairfield playing a little bit slower. A UMass team that is looking to gun it a little bit more, but what I think is going to be big for Fairfield, Taj Benning and Jake Wojcik. These two guys combine for about 23 points, nine boards. Both guys give you two plus assists per game with Wojcik. Only shoots about 31% from three. Benning shoots more around 34.5% from three, but they do a good job with guys like Jesus Cruz along Caleb Green being able to dish out the ball as well as both of these guys have been able to do a solid job being able to chip in a combined 17 points per game so I do like the overall depth of Fairfield I think that they're going to be able to do a halfway decent job on the glass I think that UMass has a little bit more talent but could only make them a five point favorite I do think that Fairfield slows this game down a little bit as well set this hold up 143.5 diving under and taking the points with the sags 733 734 on the bang where UC Irvine is going to be taking on Duquesne as this is actually going to be a neutral court game and Duquesne is finding themselves as a 7 to 7.5 point underdog, and your total on this game is 127. If this were a game that were played more around, I would say 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific time instead of 10 a.m. Pacific time, I probably would be making UC Irvine a 7 point favorite, but I actually think that there's a little bit of home court advantage that is going to be had in this game for Duquesne because this is a part of that LeBron James special or whatever that is going to be taking place in Akron, Ohio. So Duquesne, in my opinion, they get a little bit of a bump for home court as 
you do have Kevin Easley, who's able to do a good job for the team. 13 points, right around six and a half rebounds per game. You got a UC Irvine bunch at. We all know what they're going to do. They're going to look to go down low. They get so many of their points from made tubes with regards to the points that they get from three pointers in the bottom 30 in all of college basketball, though. They do shoot 36.5% from three point range. Got a pair of guys shooting north of 40% from three point range. And DJ turned it up, Davis, along with Dawson Baker. These two guys combined for about 21 points out there in the backcourt. Colin Velp, he's able to put a Velpin on teams, 14 points, six rebounds per game. So he certainly has been rock solid for the team. But you take a look at this backcourt of UC Irvine as well. And you've got to be factoring in the fact that Dawson Baker may or may not be going in this game. He has missed each other the last three games. I think that he probably goes, but is going to be hampered. So he doesn't move much to the line, even if he does wind up playing, because I think that he's going to be playing limited minutes. And when it comes to what you're able to get down though, I do like Austin Johnson for this Anteaters team. He's able to go zot zot with his right around 7.5 rebounds per game. A guy that's able to give you 2.5 blocks per game as well, but I do think Duquesne is going to be able to hold up in this game because they do have a collective that is able to shoot right around 33-ish percent from three-point range. They don't turn the ball over a lot. 11 turnovers per game. Leon Ayers is able to give you 12 points per game. You've also been able to get right around 12 points per game out of Amir Spears as well. Spears has not been able to shoot a ball from three-point range, but you do take a look at Ayers and Spears, and they combine to shoot about 83% at the free-throw line. And then Tyson Acuff is a good sharpshooter, making 48% of his series, and then you're able to get seven rebounds per game out of Trey Williams. So I think that this is going to be a little bit of a grimier game. I think that both of these teams are going to be getting an early wake-up call, and I think that they're both going to be coming out a little bit cold. And with UC Irvine having to go from west to the Midwest slash east, I only made them a five-point favorite, so I'm taking the points with Duquesne. Set this all at 127 as well, so going under. 735, 736 on the banking board. Detroit is going to be playing those to Central Michigan. The Chippewas are a 12-point underdog in your total on this game, getting at anywhere between a 145 and a half and one. 46. Now, when it comes to what we've seen out of Detroit thus far, they're a bottom 75 team with regards to possessions per game. Do I think that they're going to be cranking it up a little bit? Yes, but at the same time, they are what they are right now. They're a team that they're playing very slow and they're going exclusively through Antoine Davis. And Antoine Davis has been rock solid for the team. He's shooting over 90% of the free throw line, just below 40% from three. He's giving you 22 points per game, but what are you going to be able to get outside of him is a big giant question with this team. DJ Harvey has been out for much of the year. When he's been out there, even though he wound up starting his career at Notre Dame. He has not been able to show that whatsoever. You've been able to get a little bit of something down low out of Madhu Asich. He has been able to give the team 15 points, 8.5 rebounds, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range at Detroit. As a collective, they do shoot 78% at the free throw line. They only turn the ball over right around 12 times per game, but need guys like Kevin McAdoo to be able to step up. He's only been able to give the team 7.5 points per game. Matt Johnson, 7 points per contest as well, even though he's shooting 40% for three. And then when it comes to the Chippewas, this team has been brutally bad as they have been dealing with an injury to Jermaine Jackson Jr. That has been a little bit tough. He has missed each of the last three slash four games, and He's the team's top scorer with right around 12 points per game. So that means that you rely upon Oscar Lopez Jr. along with Kevin Miller out there in the backcourt. Both of these guys are giving me between 9 and 9.5 and points per game. Neither does a terrific job of being able to facilitate the ball. And for Central Michigan, 15 turnovers per game is a little bit tough. They don't necessarily generate a lot of seals, but you do have a guy in Harrison Henderson who is able to stretch the floor. He's at six foot ten, able to pop some three, shooting at 39.5%. And Central Michigan as a collective, they do shoot 37% for three. The 65% free throw shooting is a a little bit tough. When it comes to Central Michigan, though, you can tell that this is just a very much disjointed team. They're dealing with a bunch of injuries. Cameron Healy, who winds coming in from Albany, has not been able to find the form in which he was a double-figure scorer in his first couple of years there. Ralph Bizenthi has been able to give you right around six half rebounds per game, but I think that they're going to get bludgeoned there. I recognize that Detroit is a little bit of a one-man band, but I would much rather be taking my chances on the one-man band than a Central Michigan team that has been one of the least efficient on both offense and defense in all of college basketball. 
set this total at 138. I think that Detroit going to be continuing to play a little bit slower, so going to be going under. And set Detroit as 14-point favorite, so want to lay the points. 737, 738 on the banking board. You've got Bowling Green playing as a Robert Morris. Bobby Morris, anywhere between an 11.5 and a 12-point underdog in your turnoffs game, finding it between 151 and 151 and a half. Bowling Green is a team that just does not impress me right now. I could only make them a 7.5-point favorite now. Robert Morris has their deficiencies as well, but I take a look at the roster, and they do have talent. It just needs a mesh at this point. Someone like a Khalil Spear, who winds up coming in from Bucknell, has been terrific this year. 13.7 points, 8.5 rebounds, a block, and a seal per game. You do have someone in Rasheem Dunn, who winds up coming in from St. John's, zoning out a little bit over 4 assists per game. Shooting uncharacteristically 47% from 3-point range. Now, this is going to dry up. I can guarantee you that, but he's still been able to give the team 3-plus assists in each of the team's last 5 games, including a double-double in a game against a non-D1 opponent, and then for Robert Morris as well. I'm waiting to see if Farron Flavors is able to bust out. He's been injured this season. He's only been able to give the team 4.5 points per game, but two seasons ago at Cal Baptist, he was shooting 44% from three with right around 14 points per game, and then you take a look at this Bowling Green team, and they are waiting on some guys to pick it up as well, as they wound up dealing with an injury to Caden Menethy to begin the season. He's only been able to shoot 24% from three after shooting 33% last season. Last season at 10 points per game, more like seven this season. What has really been tough for them is the fact that Caleb Fields has not played this year. He was expected to be a little bit of a facilitator, maybe a guy that could give you 10 points out there in the backcourt as he averaged seven last season while being in the shadow of Justin Turner down for what now to Quan Plowden. 15.75 rebounds. He has been rock solid for the team, but Bowling Green, they only shoot about 32% for three. They do shoot 76% free throw line, but 14 turnovers as well. That's a little bit tough for this team. You got a bunch of which, other than Plowden, and I will say, you're able to get right around seven rebounds per game out of Joe Reese. They don't necessarily do a great job down low, so I do think that Robert Morris is going to be able to hold in this game, even though they don't necessarily have ideal size because you have been able to get right around six and a half points, five rebounds per game out of Enoch cheeks as well. So I take a look at this spot. Well, I'm saying the line at seven and a half. So I'm going to be taking the points with Robert Morris. Robert Morris hasn't necessarily been too efficient on offense. And quite frankly, neither has Bowling Green. So I've set this total at 147 and a half. So we're going to be diving under as well. 739, 740 on the betting board. You've got Arkansas State and they're going to be playing us at Air Force. Air Force is finding themselves a five to five and a half point underdog. Your toss game is saying we're team 131 and a half at 132. Air Force has been a relatively nice surprise this year. I feel like they played above their skis just a little bit though. And this is going to be a tough spot for them as I want to make Arkansas State a six-point favorite. The big reason why I do like Arkansas State in this spot is because you have Norchad Omir, a guy that is able to give you darn near a double-double. 12.5 points, 9.8 rebounds per game, a block and a half and a seal and a half per game, and then you have Desi Sills, who winds up coming in from Arkansas. 15 points, three boards, three assists. Has not been able to stroke it from three-point range, but you take a look at Arkansas State, and you've got many other guys. They're able to do a great job from distance. Marcus Eaton, shooting 93.5% the free throw line, 38% from three. He's been able to give the team 12 points, three and a half assists per game. You've had Caleb Fields shooting 40% from three-point range. He chips in there, eight and a half points, right around four and a half assists per game. And then you top that off with Marquise Davis shooting 40% from three with six points per game. That's going to put Air Force behind the eight ball because Air Force has the best backcourt player in this game, in my opinion, even with Desi Sills out there in A.J. Walker. 19 points per game. He's able to shoot 47% from three. What are you going to be able to get outside of him, though? You've got Mr. Octave, Joseph Octave, who's able to give you nine points, four rebounds per game. You've had Ethan Taylor be able to give you right around five and a half boards per game, but 
over the last years. Air Force has been a bottom five team with regards to rebound rate in all of college basketball, aside from maybe the SWAC schools. So that is not very helpful. Air Force really looking to play slow and controlled. Arkansas State, they're not fast. They're not necessarily slow either. They're a little bit inefficient on defense, but Air Force, they're relatively inefficient on offense, but solid on defense. So it's a spot in which I think that Arkansas State's sheer rebounding is going to be able to win out along with the athleticism. So made them a six-point favorite. Also wound up setting the total at 126. So I'm going to be diving under and laying it here with Arkansas State. 741, 742 on the Bank Book College of Charleston. Going to be in the road to face off against Rhode Island. Rhode Island is a favorite of seven points in your total on this game. It's 146 and 146 and a half. Wound up saying this all at 147.5. You've got a Charleston team that ranks in the top three in all of college basketball with regards to possessions per game. Now, Rhode Island, they rank in the bottom 100 with this aspect, but I do think that you're going to see College of Charleston do what they've done all year long, be able to pump up the tempo, and this is a College of Charleston team that they are not afraid to let it fly. This is a bunch of which they are towards the top 20 in all of college basketball with regards to three-pointers made on a per-game basis. Now, you want to be noting that John Meeks has missed each out of the last two games for this College of Charleston team, and it looks dicey as whether or not he's going to be playing in this game or not. I would lean to him not playing in this game. It looks like you're probably going to be without Nick Farrar as well, but this is someone that wanted returning to the game against Stetson. You only want to playing nine minutes. This is someone that has been able to average right around five and a half points per game, so if he goes slash doesn't go, this really doesn't change my handicap. The big one is John Meeks, because I mean, this is a guy that shoots 43% from three, 14 points per game, and this line is pretty much assuming that he is going to be out. If he does wind up playing, I think it would be for very limited minutes, but when it comes to the rest of these guys, I do like what you're able to get out of the backcourt of this team as you've got Brandon Tucker along Demetrius Underwood being able to combine for in the pocket about 21.5 points per game. Underwood, 7 rebounds, 3.5 assists. 2.2 steals per game. Tucker shoots 48% from three-point range. Renee Smith has been able to shoot 42% from three, 13.5 points per game. So while John Meeks is a little bit of a heart and soul piece, you've still got other ancillary pieces around him, and you've got a Rhode Island team that is headlined by the Mitchell brothers, and they have been able to do an absolutely tremendous job down low for a team that has done a great job of just being able to control games in general. So I think that that is going to be very intriguing to see how a Charleston team that plays a little bit more positionless basketball matches up with them because you've got Makai Mitchell, who gives you right around seven rebounds per game. He's not necessarily as much of a shot blocker. He's able to give you one block per game. His brother, Mikel, he has been able to give you three blocks per contest, 11 points, five and a half rebounds. Neither of these guys are necessarily stroking it too much from three-point range, but Rhode Island as a collective. They do shoot 37% from three. They're big bugaboo. 14 and a half turnovers per game. You do have Jordan Shepard being able to give you right around 12 points per game. So he's been able to do a solid job there. Ishmael Leggett has been able to give you nine and a half points. So he's been a little bit hit or miss with that aspect as well. And I was expecting a little bit more out of Malik Martin, a guy that has been able to average right around eight points per game, but is shooting 28% from three single digits in each of the team's last three games. So even though you're unlikely to have John Meeks in this game for College of Charleston, they still have a lot of good sharpshooters. I think that they're going to do a good job of being able to keep themselves at bay from the outside. And I think that you wind up getting a lot of late game felling. Rhode Island, they themselves shoot about 71% the free throw line. You've got a College of Charleston team that they're shooting as a collective about 75% the free throw line. So made this line 5.5, willing to take the points with College of Charleston. Made this total 147.5 as well. So going over. 743, 744 on the betting board. UIC, Illinois, Chicago is going to be playing us in Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois is an 8 to eight and a half point underdog in your total on this game is 130. 
Northern Illinois wound up getting a nice win to begin the season against Washington, but other than that, this team has been a relative poop stain, so that has not been great, and I'm willing to lay pretty much anything that isn't double digits when it comes to this UIC team. I wound up saying the line at 9.5. When it comes to Northern Illinois, Keyshawn Williams has been able to give you 12 points per game, and Trenton Akerson, more around 11.5 points per game, with Akerson shooting right around 38.5% from three-point range with two seals per game. Williams has not been shooting it well from three, as you've got a Northern Illinois team that has a collective turns ball over 16 times per game, despite being a lower-tempo team, and they shoot 64% at the free-throw line, so that is not too terrific, UIC. They are headlined by Luke Yaklich, who was one of the defensive masterminds of that Michigan team that wanted making the title game a few seasons ago, so he's going to be preaching some good defense to UIC. They haven't necessarily been able to mesh yet, but they've done a good job of being able to cut down on the turnovers this year with Amari Franklin coming in from Tennessee Tech and spearheading the offense with 16.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, 1.6 steals per game. He only shoots about 31% per three, but Zion Griffin shoots 39% per distance with right around 11.5 points per game, so he's been rock solid. You don't have a lot of rebounding for this team. Michael Diggins has been able to give you 6.5 points, 4.7 rebounds per game. That's down for past years has given the team five plus boards in each other last two years so I fully expect him to be able to pick it up a little bit. And when it comes to this team as well, you have been noticing quite a few guys dealing with a little bit of ailment. Brandon Battle wanted missing a few games. He wanted returning against Paul Did not wind up seeing too many minutes. So I think that he might be a little bit of a piece that they look to down low towards the future. This is a UIC team that they themselves only shoot about 63.5% the free throw line. But I think that the defensive effort is going to be there against a Northern Illinois team that they don't really have anything down low either. You've been able to have Anthony Crump give you four and a half rebounds per game and he's really been leading the way. So I wound up saying this a 127.5. I think that we're in for a slog and a grimy game, so I'm taking the under. I do I see willing to lay anything that is less than 10 with this team, so want to lay the 8.5 eight and eight and with them in this spot. 7.45, 7.46 on the betting board. New Mexico is going to be playing us at SMU. SMU hopes to not be SMPU, as they are anywhere between 6 and 6.5 point favorites, and your total on this game is 156.5 to 157.5, and when it comes to New Mexico, set them as a 5.5 point underdog. I do think that this is an SMU team that is very talented, but how many double digit leads haven't we seen SMU blow this year? I mean, it is absolutely insane. I should say the last 13 months dating back to last year. I mean, it feels like every single game, the Pony Express is up by 20. And every single game, the Pony Express is in the final possession of a game after being up by 20. You do have a guy in Kendrick Davis who I really like. 20 points, 4.7 rebounds, 5.5 assists, shooting 42% from 3, 86.5% at the free throw line. SMU is a collective. They shoot 74% at the free throw line, 38.5% from 3-point range. Emmanuel Bandemel, along with Michael Weathers, have both been able to give you between 10 and 11 points per game. Weathers right around 6.5 rebounds per game. Panamel shooting 39% per three and 84% the free throw line. Zach Natal has been able to pick it up as well. The same Eastern State transfer. It's giving you right around 9.5 points, 4.5 rebounds per game. He's been able to score double figures in each other the last two games, so he's been able to come alive a little bit with that aspect. But then you take a look at New Mexico, and this is a team that has been housing teams with Jalen House. 16.5 points, 4 assists, 2 seals, shooting about 34% per three as a collective. New Mexico shoots 75.5% the free throw line, 36% from three point range. You don't generate a lot of seals, but this is a team that is willing to run it and gun it. I wound up saying the total at a 158 as a result because you've got two teams that are turning down for absolutely no. Nobody with New Mexico, highly efficient on offense, not so efficient on defense. SMU, ditto. I do think that Jethro Muscat, who winds coming in from Kansas, has five and a half boards and ten points per game, is going to be very critical to this New Mexico team being able to hold up on the glass. They also now have Shaquan Singleton back in the fold, a guy that 
doesn't do a lot of scoring, but has been able to do a good job with facilitation. He really had his best game in the team's last game. 11 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists against UTEP. Prior to that game, he was still coming back as he was dealing with some really serious off-the-court health issues, so very glad to see him back out there, but when it comes to SMU, I think that they should be able to win this game outright. Not willing to lay 6.5 here. I want to make them a 5.5 point favorite, so taking the points with New Mexico. Set the total at 158, so going over as well. 747, 748 on the betting board. Texas is back to being a favorite against Stanford as this is a game that is going to be a T-Mobile Arena with Texas, a 9.5 point favorite. Total is anywhere between 128.5 and 129.5. I want to say this total at 127. You do have a neutral court game, so I wound up shading this total down a little bit more. If this would have been at Maples and or in Austin, I probably would have been setting it a little bit closer to 130, but when it comes to the Texas team, they have been just stifling with regards to their defense. In the top 10 in all of college basketball, the guards points allowed on a per-possession basis. You've got a Texas team that is doing an absolutely magnificent job of being able to generate turnovers. As with regards to steals per game, they're getting 9.7 as a collective. Andrew Jones has been great with this. He's leading the way with right around two steals per game, 8.5 points per game, shooting 35% for three. And you take a look at the Texas team, and among their top six scores, five of them shoot at least 35% for three-point range. So they've been absolutely tremendous there. Austin Carr just has not been good this year, though. Eight and a half points, three and a half assists. It's as if his superpowers that he had at Minnesota are gone, but you do have Timmy Allen coupled with Trey Mitchell. These guys are combining for about 25 points, 11 and a half rebounds per game, two steals per contest. So they certainly have been able to hold up at the point of attack. Then you take a look at the flip side for Sanford and they very nearly lost on their home floor to Dartmouth a few days ago. You do have Jaden Dallaire being able to give you 12 and a half points, four and a half rebounds per game. And Harrison Ingram, I mean, he's probably a top three guy with regards to talent on the court. 12 and a half points, seven rebounds, three and a half assists. Guys, the stat sheet suffer. Shooting 35% for three. Sanford, though, they shoot 65% on the free throw line. That is not great. They're turning the ball over 15 times per game. They're facing off against a Texas team that they do a good job of being able to generate turnovers. So it's a spot in which I want up saying Texas has a 12 and a half point favorite. I'm willing to lay the points here. I think that they've just got more sheer talent than a Sanford team that just feels like it's very rudderless right now. They've got size, but they don't necessarily have rebounding. Spencer Jones has only been able to give you right around four and a half boards per game, so it's been very interesting to watch this saga play out. And when it comes to Sanford, I don't think that they're going to be scoring very much on the Texas team. Said the total at 127, so laying the points and taking the under. 749, 750 on the betting board. Chicago State is going to be in the road to face off against Drake. Drake is a 24-point favorite in your Toronto game. It's anywhere between 133 and 134.5. And We've actually had some success backing Chicago State recently. A sentence I never thought I would be saying, but I mean, Chicago State has covered, I believe, now four out of their last five games, but I do think that the number has sunk a little bit too much. This is a Drake team in which their last cover actually wound up coming in their first game of the season. I actually think that this is a very prime spot for them to just get a big, giant blowout win. They've been able to do it a lot the last few years, so I want to say them as a 25.5 point favorite when it comes to Drake. This is a team that's in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game, but I do like the fact that Tucker DeVries has been a sad sheet suffer for this team. 13.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, 1.2 seals per game, shooting 36.5% for three. And Drake has been solid on offense, shooting 73% the free throw line, 36.5% from three-point range. Draymond Murphy and Shaquan Emphill are both giving you 11.1 points in between five and five and a half rebounds per game, so they've been rock solid. Garrett Sturtz is not afraid to get dirty as well. He's a guy that's able to give you right around 10 points, 6 rebounds, a steal, a block per game. He just does whatever is needed for this team. And then you take a look at the flip side for Chicago State, and you've actually had Mr. Betson do a great job for this team. Brandon Betson, 15 points, 3.5 assists, shooting 38% from 3-point range, has really been the head of the snake for this team, as he has been able to give the team at least 12 points in now 4 out of the team's last 5 games, the double digits in all 5 of them. Now, they are dealing with a little bit of an injury. One of their top scorers, Bryce 
Bryce Johnson. He has been out of the fold the last few games, so that has been hurting them a little bit. You've had Kendrick Green be in and out of the fold as well. He has not played in the last five games either, so that has this team a little bit short-handed and down low. You really don't have a lot outside of Sean Corbett. He's been able to give the team six half rebounds per game along with Corian Russian. Both of these guys combined for about 20 points per game, and with Corbett, he does shoot 38% from three, but big thing with Chicago State, 17 turnovers a game, and they shoot 62% at the free throw line. This is a Drake team that I'm not going to say that they're masterminds of being able to generate seals, but they do get right around seven per contest. You've got a guy like ADJ Wilkins out there in the backcourt that's able to do a solid job with nine points. He's able to pop it at about a 35% clip from three. I think that this is going to be a bad matchup for Chicago State, so wound up saying Chicago State as a 25.5 point underdog, so one late here with Drake. and made this total 131.5. Drake playing a very slow style. Chicago State a little bit sloppy in general on offense, so diving under and laying the points with Drake. 751, 752 on the betting board. You've got Oklahoma, and Boomer Sooner is going to be playing also UT Arlington. The Mavericks find themselves a 19.5 point underdog, and your total is anywhere between 132 and seeing his size 133.5. When it comes to this Oklahoma team, I wound up saying them as a 19 point favorite. So here at 19.5, it's certainly a small differential, but we're going to be taking a look at the points when it comes to UT Arlington. When it comes to the Mavericks, it's been a team that has been a little bit hit or miss, but you do have guys down low that are able to do a relatively solid job for this team, coupled with David Azor. Azor is someone that wound up playing in just 12 games last season and wound up dealing with some injuries towards the front of this season as well, but has now given the team 13.5 points per game. You can tell that he's been able to pick it up recently, at least 15 points in four of the team's last five games. Last year shot 44% from three. This year, 15% from distance. you got to figure that positive regression is going to be coming in there. Montez Young Jr. has been able to give the team right around five boards per game, not necessarily a prolific score with only about four points per game, but you've also got to help about down low. This is always one of the toughest names to say. Cody Odichi, Okubiano, Ihogobu. Hopefully I said that one correctly. Six points, five rebounds per game while being able to give you three blocks per game. In terms of blocks on a permanent basis over the last two years, it's been the top player in off college basketball. And the big thing with this team, Javon Levi needs to pick it up. Six points, three and a half rebounds, 4.6 assists per game for a guy that was in the top three in off college basketball with regards to both steals and assists per game in at least one out of the last two seasons. And then for Oklahoma, you don't have a ton down low, but Jalen Hill has been able to give you six and a half rebounds per game. He's bumping in there nine and a half points per game, so he's been rock solid. Tanner Groves, I like his game. He's saying six for 10. Gives the team 15 points, six boards, two assists. Shoots 44% from three as a collective Oklahoma. Shoots 74% free throw line, 35.5% from three. You know that this is a team that's in a little bit of transition right now. They haven't fully adopted to the Porter Mosier style. With regards to tempo, they are very much in the middle of the country, right around 185-ish, so not fast, not slow. Jordan Goldwire is able to give you right around four and a half assists per game with UT Arlington. This is, at the very least, a team that's been very battle-tested, playing against teams like San Diego State, Oklahoma State, Utah State, list goes on and on. So I do think that they're going to be able to hold within this number. I'm going to be taking a look at the points, and when it comes to this total, I do think that UT Arlington is going to be relatively held down in this game, but I think we've went a little bit too far with this one as well, as I thought that Oklahoma coming into the year would adapt a little bit more to the Porter Mosier style, as yet to happen, so set this all at 133, so going over, and I'm going to be taking the points with the Mavs. 753, 754 on the betting board. Middle Tennessee State is going to be playing Oceans Coast Carolina. The Chanticleers find themselves a 4.5 point underdog, and your total on this game it is 137.5 to 138.5. As that Coast Carolina is a 2 point favorite, I'm willing to take them on the money line. With Middle Tennessee, this team has been pumping up their tempo a little bit more, but I do take a look at Coast Carolina, and I think that they should be able to win this game outright because they're going to be able to win the battle down low with Isam Mustafa being able to give you 17 points, 10 rebounds per game. Not necessarily the world's greatest shot blocker, but still gives you a little bit over a block per game as well. So he's been able to do a solid job there. Has actually extended his range to be able to pop a couple threes as well. So I think that that's going to be very critical moving forward for the team. You've also got 
Abrima Diba, who's been able to give you a little bit over six assists per game, nine and a half points. Not a guy that's going to light it up from three point range, but also gives you two seals per game. And then take a look at this Middle Tennessee bunch. And while they have pumped up the tempo, it's not like they've necessarily been overly efficient on offense. 14 turnovers per game. They're shooting as a collective 30% from three point range. Eli Lawrence has been able to do a good job with being able to give the team 12 and a half points and five rebounds per game. But I mean, the fact that he's also leading the team in rebounds, that is a little bit of a bad matchup for the team. DeAndre Dishman is only able to give you right around four and a half points per game. Not necessarily a prolific shot blocker. Now, what I will say for Middle Tennessee is that you've got a lot of guys that are able to get you steals. You've got each of your top five scores giving you at least one steal per game, including Josh Jefferson along Donovan Sims, who combined for about 23 points per game. Both of these guys shoot between 93 and 94 and a half percent at the free throw line, so they've been solid there, but when it comes to this Coastal Carolina team, the ancillary pieces, I think, are going to be able to do enough to be able to step up, like a Rudy Williams and Vince Cole, these two backcourt pieces. It will give you a combined 24 and a half points per game. Rudy Williams, four and a half assists per game. Got a Coastal Carolina bunch at. They only turn the ball over 11 and a half times per game while shooting 34% for three, so make Coastal a two-point favor, so I'm going to be taking them on the money line. No Middle Tennessee State is playing very fast. They're playing inefficiently as well, so I set this one at 138, so at the 138 and a half, I'm willing to dive under, and I'm going to be taking Coastal Carolina's money line underdog. 755, 756 on the betting board. You've got yourself UC Davis, and they're going to be hitting the road face off against Pacific. Pacific, a two-point favorite in your Toronto's game is between 134 and 134 and a half. When it comes to Pacific, I made them a four and a half point favorite, so we're going to be taking a look at them in this spot, because with UC Davis, I was impressed by the fact that they were able to knock off Oregon State, but let's call it what it is. Oregon State is looking like one of the saddest Power 5 conference teams that we've seen in quite some time. Now, UC Davis, they also have that win against Utah State to be able to lead off the year, and they also lost to the Academy of the Arts. So, we have seen the best of times and the worst of times with regards to this program this season. Meanwhile, you've got a Pacific team that's been a little bit more even. Steven Alfonso Anderson has been able to do a nice job pairing up with Jeremiah Bailey. Both of these guys are able to give you a combined about 22 points per game, 12 rebounds with Anderson shooting about 36% from three-point range. Bailey more in the pocket, about 41% from three. Now, Luke Andovich, the transfer from Northern Arizona, has missed the last few games. He's been able to shoot 47% from three-point range, but filling in from him, you've got the gentleman from UNLV in Nick Blake, who's been able to be a little bit of stat sheet stuff for seven and a half points, rebounds. He's able to give you just a little bit of this and that. You've got a Pacific team that they shoot 35% from three. The 65.5% free throw shooting is a little bit unsightly, and then you take a look at UC Davis, and you do have a guy in Elijah Pepper who's leading the way of 14.5 points, 5.5 boards, and shooting 42.5% from three for a Davis team that they shoot as collective about 35% from three, but they themselves shoot 67% at the free throw line, so that's a little bit brutal for this team. Among their top eight scores, only two of them shoot above 70% at the free throw line. Christian Aniwe has been able to give you 11 points, seven boards down low, and Ezra Medjohn has been able to give 13 points, 3 boards, 3 assists, steal and a half per game as UC Davis gets right around 7.5 as a collective, but I do think that the overall athleticism and the rebounding of Pacific is going to be a little bit better in this spot. I do think that Pacific is going to be able to hold up on their home courts so and made them a 4.5 point favorite. I do think that you're going to see a little bit of a slower tempo in this game as well. I set the total at 134. Seeing the 134.5, I'd be willing to go under there, waiting for, on a little bit more of a line move if we wind up getting to a 135 or more, then I certainly would be all in on the under, and then when it comes to 133 or lower, then we'd be taking a look at the over, so in a little bit more wait and see mode, but leading towards the under with that 134.5 and laying the points when it comes to Pacific 757, 758 on the betting board. Richmond is going to be playing also Old Dominion. Old Dominion is finding themselves as anywhere between a 12.5 and a 13-point underdog in your total on this game. It is anywhere between 132.5 and 133. When it comes to Old Dominion, I want to say them as a 12.5-point dog, so getting them at 13, I'm going to be willing to take the points when it comes to Richmond. A very solid three-point shooting team, but also a team that has been a little bit lax on defense as well, so 
It's been a little bit hit or miss when it comes to this bunch. When it comes to what you're able to get on the flip side for this Old Dominion team, it really is paramount that KJ Kaiser leads away in the backcourt. 13 and a half points, two assists per game, shooting about 35 and a half percent from three-point range. Old Dominion certainly has had their trials and tribulations when it comes to being able to shoot from the outside. Committing right around 12 and a half turnovers per game. They shoot 67% at the free line, 30.3% from three. Now, we got someone in Jalen Under shooting a little bit over 40% from three, 9.5 points, 4.5 boards, 4.5 assists per game. So, he subs the set sheet, and Kazul Zikpe is able to give you right around 12 points, 7 boards. So, he's able to do a nice job down low for a Old Dominion team that they do generate right around 8 seals per game. Richmond has been very solid down low. As you've got Grant Golden along Tyler Burton being able to combine for about 34 points per game. Both of these guys give you between 5.5 and 6.7 rebounds per game. Golden, 3.7 assists as a six foot ten stretch player. Both of these guys shoot over 40% for three point range. Jacob Gilliard, the all time leader in steals in the NCAA, shoots 36.5% for three, 12 points over three steals per game, and six assists as well. This is a Richmond team that they don't turn it over as well. Assist to turnover ratio is one of the best in all of college basketball 10.1 turnovers per game, but they shoot 64.5% at the free throw line, 38% for three. This is an old Dominion team that they are very stout with regards to their defense. They play very slow and deliberate, and I do think that they're going to be able to get their tempo in this game, which is why. I do think that they're going to be able to cover Richmond themselves is a team that plays a little bit more controlled as well. So I wound up saying the sold out 131.5 of Richmond. Go ahead and make them a 12-point favorite. So taking 13 with Old Dominion and I'm going to be taking a look at the under. 759, 760 on the banking board is my New York post play of the day. As you've got Dartmouth and they are going to be hitting their own face off against Cal. Cal is anywhere between an 11.5 to a 12-point favorite and your tallest game is anywhere between 124 and a half and 126. I'm going to take the over in this spot. I recognize that both of these teams are really stinking slow, but you take a look at just this matchup in general and it just screams points as you've got a Dartmouth team that they are really relying upon the three-point shot to be able to get points as you take a look at Dartmouth and they're in the top 20 in all of college basketball with percentage of points that winds up coming from three, 45.2% and Cal is 317th in that category getting just 23.9% of their points from three, but Dartmouth, they're relying opponents to shoot over 35% from three. Cal's perimeter defense is outside the top 100. You got a Cal team that is not sharing any turnovers whatsoever. Dartmouth is not a team that they turn you over either, so that is big and with Dartmouth as well what you're going to find is that this team actually plays much more up-tempo on the road. As a matter of fact, 8.5 possessions per game more on the road than they do at home. So I think that's intriguing. Cal is a team that they've actually been able to find a little bit of offense. Andre 3000 Johnson has been able to do a terrific job for this team. He's been able to pump in their 15 plus points per game. A guy that's able to give you a little bit over 8 boards. So I think that he's going to be able to do a good job there. And when it comes to Dartmouth, you've got two guys. And Troy Samuels along Brandon Berry who are really stroking the ball very well. Both of these guys combined to be able to shoot about 40% for three-point range. He combined about 26.5 points per game. Aaron Ray down low 12.5 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. On the flip side for this Cal team, Grant Antisevich is someone that stands right around 6 foot 9, and he's been able to do a good job of being able to knock down some threes. 11.5 points, 6.5 boards, shooting about 34.5% from three, 92% at the free throw line. Cal as a collective, they shoot about 72.5% at the charity stripe. They don't turn the ball over a whole lot, lot themselves. They need a little bit more out of guys like Mikhail Foreman and company out there in the backcourt. Jordan Shepard has been able to give the team 14.5 points per game. Not necessarily efficient, but you do take a look at Dartmouth as well. This is a team that coming off of their COVID-19 protocols and everything like that. Needed someone to step up and they've got Ryan Cornish being able to give the team 8 points, shooting 40% for 3, 8 plus points at each other team's last three games. So that's helped them out with regards to their offense. I think we went too low on this total. I wound up setting this total at a 132-ish. So I'm going to be taking a look at the over in the spot. That is my near post play of the day. And when it comes to Dartmouth, I want to make them a 6-point underdog. So being able to get double digits, we're going to be taking the points well along with the near post play of the day of the over. 761, 762 on the banking board. Portland, it's a road to 
chase off against Montana State. Montana State in between a 10 and a half and 11 point favorite. And your tallest game is anywhere between 145 and a half and 146. I don't see why this line has went as far as it has. You've got a Portland team that has actually been relatively respectable. I recognize they wound up losing that game in pretty convincing fashion to Oregon a couple days ago. But overall, I do like what I'm seeing out of this team. Shante Leggins has been able to do a good job coaching them up. So it's a spot in which I want to make this line more like seven with Tyler Robertson being able to shoot nearly 40% for three, 17 points, six rebounds. He wanted following his coach Leggins over from Eastern Washington. So that has been a big reason why they've been able to hit the ground running this season. Then you take a look at what you're able to get out of Montana State. And Montana State has a lot of guys with size that do a terrific job. I take a look at someone like a Jabri Bello, who's been able to give you 13.5 points, six boards per game, shooting 50% for three. Xavier Bishop has done a nice job of being able to facilitate the offense. 12 points, three boards, 4.1 assists, shooting 37.5% from three-point range. And then Amin Adamu has been able to give you right around 10 points per game. And Abdul Mohammed, more around 11 points per game. These two guys have been able to do a good job of being able to stretch the offense with Mohammed shooting 48.5% from three-point range. So that has been very beneficial for the team. And you've even been able to get a little bit of something out of Washington transfer. Wake Juan Battle with right around five points per game. But for Portland, Mike Meadows has impressed me. He's been able to give the team 11 points, four assists, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range. Portland is collective. Shoots 81% free fly, 36% from three-point range. You've got a Montana State team that they themselves have been very efficient on offense. They're right now turning the ball over about 14 times per game. But they shoot 71.5% the free throw line, 38.5% from three-point range. So I do think that you're going to get points aplenty in this game. I want to say this sort of 149 as a result. So I'm going to be going over of Portland. Made them a seven-point dog, so we'll take double digits in this spot as well. 763, 764 on the betting board. You've got yourself Montana, and they're going to be playing against Santa Clara. The Broncos are finding themselves a 10-point favorite, and your tallest game is saying we're team 141 and a half and 142. This is clearly not the Montana teams that wanted to make in the NCAA tournament a few seasons ago, but I do think that we went a little bit too far in this spot. When it comes to Montana, I wanted to say them as a 9-point underdog. You do have a guy in Cameron Parker who a few seasons ago set an NCAA record for most assists in a game by a Division I player with 24, so he is certainly going to be a big cog for this team. Josh Bannon has been able to give you right around 8 rebounds, 12 points per game, a guy that's able to stretch the floor and is able to pop a couple threes, so I think that he's going to be critical in this game, and then you take a look at the flip side and what you're going to be able to get out of the Santa Clara team and Joseph Varankic coming back is very big. You saw him in his first game back against Boise State, led the team in scoring overall this year in his five games 14.5 points per game, five boards, four and a half assists, shoots 43% from three as a guy that stands right around six foot nine. So that's a very hard matchup. And then Jalen Williams, 19.5 points, four boards, four assists, steal and a half per game, shooting nearly 40% from three. PJ Pipes has seen a dip in his scoring, right around 10.5 points per game. So you do have a little bit of concern here because he has scored seven points or fewer now, four out of the team's last five games. So that's a little bit of an issue. But Keyshawn Justice, he is serving it up with right around 14 points, seven and a half boards. So I do like what he's able to bring to the table, Santa Clara. As a collective, they shoot 77.5% from the free throw line, 37% from three, so very good there. But when it comes to Montana, even though the rebounding, it's not necessarily too terrific with this team. I do think that you're going to be able to get some good versatility out of a few of these pieces. Someone like a Robbie Beasley, who's able to give you 10 points per game, shoot 35% from three for a Montana team that they don't turn the ball over. 10 turnovers per game, they shoot 80.5% the free throw line, 36% from three, so they don't beat themselves. They're going to be bludgeoned a little bit down low, but I do think that someone like a Scott Blakeney who winds up coming in from Idaho is going to be able to give this team a little bit of a spark, so want to make in this a line of Montana being a 9-point underdog, so willing to take double digits here. And when it comes to 
Texas total, I think that Montana is actually going to get their style. I think that they're going to slow this game down to a crawl. I set this out at 135, so diving under, and I'm going to be taking the points. 765, 766 on the banking board. UC Riverside is going to be playing us to Sacramento State. Sac State has find themselves between a 13 and 13 and a half point underdog with your total on equal between 127 and a half and 128 with Riverside. I feel like they should be a relatively sizable favorite. I think we went a little bit too far here. I set them as more around a 12.5 point favorite. Got to keep this in mind with UC Riverside. Bottom 75 team with regards to possessions per game. It makes covering a spread like this just a little bit more difficult. And then when it comes to Sacramento State, no fans are buts about it. This is not necessarily a too terrific team, but you still do have a couple pieces out there in the backcourt. Headlined by Bryce Fowler. Fowler, 17 points, 5.5 rebounds, 4 assists, shooting 40% from 3-point range. He is the heart and soul of the Sacramento State team. You take a look at Zach Chappell along with William Fitzpatrick. These guys need to pick it up with regards to the three-point shooting. Fitzpatrick shoots 40% for three. Eight and a half points per game. He's doing his job. Chapel shot over 40% from distance last year. 23% this year for a Sacramento State team that is shooting 65.5% the free throw line. 33% from distance. You don't have a ton of rebounding, but I do think that Jonathan Kukamanga is going to be able to give you a little bit of something right around six boards per game. And then Zion Pullian on the flip side for UC Riverside has done a good job of being able to lead this offense with 12.5 points, seven boards, 4.7 assists. Shooting about 34% for three. UC Riverside as a collective. They've seen a dip in their three-point shooting percentage this season, right around 32.5%, and they shoot 63.5% the free throw line. That's a big trepidation that I have with laying it in this game. Now, you've got Colin McRae, a seven-footer that's able to give you 8.5 points, 8.5 rebounds. He's been able to do a terrific job. This team also averages one block per game as a collective. This is a team that doesn't necessarily have a ton of interior defense. J.P. Morbin has been solid, but when it comes to these efficiencies and the fact that you see Riverside play so slow, covering this sort of number I think is going to be a little bit difficult. So I'm willing to take the points with Sacramento State. Sacramento State at their core is a little bit of a slower team. They've been speeding things up. And we've noticed with UC Riverside, the defensive efficiency hasn't necessarily been there either. So I did want to say this total at 129. So going over and I'm going to be taking the points. 767, 768 on the bank board. Nebraska is going to be playing on to Kansas State. Kansas State find themselves as between a pick to a one-point underdog in your tolerance game between 138 and half and 140. Going to be interesting to see what Sia wants out. And I do think that Nebraska is going to be able to speed things up a little bit more. I did wind up taking them as a two and a half point favorite. So want to take them as a pick um, slash lay a point in this spot. When it comes to this Kansas State team, I actually have been impressed by what I've seen in the backcourt from Nigel Pack. Pack is packing it into the basket with 14.5 points per game, shooting 47.5% from three-point range. Ever since coming off of the concussion, he hasn't played a whole heck of a lot recently, but I think that he's going to be able to find a little bit more production in this game. Now you've got Marquise Noel along with Mark Smith to be able to back him up. Smith, right now the team's top rebounder, eight boards, 10 points per game. Noel, right around 13 points, 4.5 assists. Both of these guys should be right around 33.5 to 34.5% from three-point range as collective Kansas State. Shoot 73% of the line, 34.5% from three, so they do a solid job there. And then when it comes to Nebraska, I think that they're going to be able to do a serviceable job down low. Bryce McGowan's stuff's the stat sheet. 16 points, 6 half rebounds. Not a great three-point shooter, but that's why you've got some of the other pieces on this team, like a CJ Wolcher, like a Kobe Webster. Now, both of these guys overall this year are giving you between 7 and 7.5 seven points per game and shooting about 33% for three. I think that they're going to see a little bit of a tick up with this. Nebraska has been a little bit unlucky with their outside shooting at 26%. Now, they do shoot 74% the free throw line, and Alonzo Verge has been solid for the team, in my opinion. Turnovers are starting to go up a little bit at 3.5, but I credit that to the just stiff competition that they've been playing in general. Nebraska has 16 points, 6 boards, 5.2 assists per game when it comes to what you're out to get out of some of the other younger guys as well. I like the way that Kasi Tominga has been able to develop for the team. He's now giving the team right around 8 points per game, shooting 34% from 3-point range. So, all in all, I do think that Nebraska has what it takes to be able to get the W in this one just because when it comes to Kansas State, you don't necessarily have guys that 
are necessarily too trustworthy down low. Kazoo Azigu has only been able to give you right around 4.5 boards, 7.5 points per game. Selton Miguel, 8 points, 5.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists per game. Both of these guys, very hit or miss when it comes to their production. Someone like Ismail Musad, the 8 points, 5 rebounds, not great, not terrible. The shoots right around 36% from 3, and I think that Nebraska has a little bit more explosiveness. They are going to be able to kick up the tempo, and I do think that the game comes down to late game fouling, and Nebraska has been good at the free throw line, so made them a 2.5 point favorite, and made the total 142.5, so going over and willing to lay here with Nebraska. And this is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games, and 769-770 is a game currently without a line, as it's Arizona State against San Francisco. This is not because the game is canceled, but this is rather because San Francisco wanted to play yesterday yesterday against Grand Canyon. As a matter of fact, I'll let you in behind the curtain. They are playing right now against Grand Canyon as I do this here at halftime, but when it comes to this game, I wind up setting the San Francisco team as a three-point favorite. As this appears to be a true road game for San Francisco, if it were to be on a neutral court, I'd be setting it a little bit closer to six, but I take a look at the San Francisco team, and they're a little bit of a chameleon. They're able to play fast. They're able to play slow. We saw them play slow yesterday, but you do have a good glue guy in Gabe Stefanini that I think is very helpful to Jamari Boye. Boye is able to give you 20 points, 5.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists, shooting 47% for 3, but Stefanini gives you a couple assists, a steal, 10 points. He just does a little things well. Good on-ball defender. Now, they need a little bit more down low. Patrick Tape has been able to give you about 4.5 rebounds per game. Josh Kunin more on 5 boards per game, and then you take a look at Arizona State, and this is a team that they've just been all sorts of lost in the abyss this year, I think is the best way to be able to put it, because you've had a couple guys dealing with health and safety concerns, and you've, quite frankly, got a coach that has absolutely no idea what he's doing, and Bobby Hurley, he's more interested and yelling in the rest and actually coaching up the scene. DJ turned it up horn. He's been able to give the team 13 points. Overall, Arizona State, though, they shoot 29% from three, 69% at the free throw line. They become a slow-tempo team just because they aren't able to get anything generated on offense, especially with Marcus Bagley being out of the fold. He was able to give the team 10 points, four boards, and three games. It's not been seen really in like a month and a half. Alonzo Gaffney has been a buster rooney for the team. Five points, right around three and a half rebounds per game. He does give the team a block and a half per game, and you do have a good on-ball defender and Jalen Graham was able to do a good job of being able to hold up at the point of attack, so I do think that this is going to be a game in which it's going to be a little bit slower, but I do think that you wind up seeing late game falling in the end. I think that San Francisco has a little bit more in the backcourt in this game as well, so I do wind up saying San Francisco has a three-point favorite and a true road game. It made this total 137. I do think that Arizona State is going to look to try to pump up the tempo a little bit more. Now we're going to be going to the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. We go in Las Vegas rotation order with these as well, but the first one is going to be skipped. 306-181, 306-182. Bethune-Cookman and Florida National has been postponed. So we go to 306-183, 306-184. Longwood was supposed to face off against St. Francis of New York. This game has been postponed as well, so we're going to be going down the list. 306-185, 306-186, a not postponed game. Sacred Art and UMass Lowell. UMass Lowell is finding themselves as a five-point favorite, and your total on this game is 140.5. Certainly, we were hoping to see a couple more games on the extra board, but with that said, when it comes to UMass Lowell, this is a team that I want to make them the favorite in this game. The question is, how much of a favorite do you want to make them? Because this is a Sacred Art team that actually do a relatively solid job down low. Nico Galette has been able to give you right around 9 or per game, not necessarily a prolific score with nine points per game, but I want to making Lowell more around a five and a half point favorite because with Lowell, they're going to be bludgeoned a little bit down low, but I do like what you're able to get out of the backcourt as Max Brooks is able to give you 10 points, five and a half rebounds per game. He's more of the true post presence for the team and then Everett Hammond winds coming in from USC Upstate, 11 and a half points per game, shooting 32 and a half percent for three point range. You're able to get 11 points per game out of Khalil Thomas as well. And then you take a look at someone like a Mr. Fazian in Justin Fazian, nine and a half points, three assists, not necessarily a great three point shooter as UMass Lowell 
Tulsa Collective. They shoot 29% from three, but they do a good job of being able to generate nine steals per game. They shoot 72.5% at the free throw line. When it comes to Sacred Heart, this is a team that, with regards to turnovers per game, they clock in with right around 14.3 each of their top four scores. Commit at least 1.9 turnovers per game, though. I do like what you're able to get out of Alex Watson. He's been able to clock in with right around 9.5 points per game. A guy that shoots 39% from three-point range. And then you've got Mr. Thomas, who has been doing it all. Tyler Thomas, 20.5 points, shooting 35% from three, 2.5 assists, one and a half steals per game. Now, when it comes to the Sacred Heart team, they do shoot only about 34% from three-point range as a collective and 67% at the free throw line. You've had Gontavia Dottrell be a little bit more of an afterthought for the team. He's been able to give the team six parts per game, but has seen his minutes slash a little bit. I am unsure why. Now, a good sharp shooter in Joey Riley has been able to shoot 46% from three-point range, but I think that UMass Lil is going to be able to do a good job on defense in this game. And I do like the fact that you are now getting back Connor Weathers as well. You want to missing the first, I would say, eight or nine games as season. He has come back after he wanted giving the team 11.5 points, right around 6.5 rebounds per game, so that should be able to help this team in the interior. So, do mind as a result, setting UMass Lowell as a 5.5 point favorite, so I'm willing to lay it here. Made this total 135.5 as well, so we are going to be diving under as we move on to game number 306-187-306-188. We are not going to be moving on to this game because Vermont and Northeastern, this has been a game that has been canceled, so we move on. 306-189, 306-190. You've got yourself Southeast Louisiana, and they're going to be taking on Iowa State. Iowa State is finding the themselves a 19 to 20 point favorite and your total on this game you're going to be finding it anywhere between 134 and a half and 135 and it's a spot in which I want to say this total 136 and a half you do have an Iowa State team that has been one of the most efficient defenses in all of college basketball but I do think that it is going to be a little bit more of an up-tempo game just because Southeast Louisiana is playing the Olay style of defense himself now you've got Gus Okafer along with Keon Clairjeau in the backcourt both giving you between 12 and a half and 13 points per game Clairjeau three and a half assists shooting about 31 percent from three Okafer more around 36.5% from distance and you've got a Southeast Louisiana team that they do get right around 9.2 steals per game so they've been able to do a great job there among their top 7 scores 6 of them get at least a steal per game you've been able to have right around 8.5 points per game out of Joe Kasbariski who's been able to do a nice job of being able to give you right around 2 assists and those 2 steals per game as well so that's been helpful but then you take a look at Iowa State they do a good job of just being able to put the clamps down on teams when the top teams with regards to 3 point shooting defense they get right around 10 steals per game they shoot 35% from 3 point range, and I must say, Tyrese Hunter has been one of the more underrated players in all of college basketball this season. 11 points, 3.5 rebounds, 5.2 assists, with right around 2.5 seals per game. Gabe Kelcher is very much a hit or miss three-point shooter, and he's been missing a lot, but still gives you two seals and 11.5 points per game in the Isaiah Brockington. Stat sheet suffer. 16.5 points, 7.5 boards, and he's going up against the Southeast Louisiana team that has really no size whatsoever, so I do think that someone like an Aljay Kunich, who's been able to give the team right around five boards, comes in from Washington State, going to be able to have his way down low. Wanda making Iowa State a 22.5 point favorite. I feel like bookmakers have not adjusted enough to this team, and I think that it's going to be another good day for them. And when it comes to the total, I want to say that at a 136.5 because of the lack of defense that Southeast Louisiana is playing. So going over and laying the points. 36.191, 36.192. You've got Long Island, and they're going to be playing us Army. Army is finding themselves a 1 to 1.5 point underdog in your total on skate. It's anywhere between 142.5 and 143. Why bookmakers have been valuing Army so much has been a little bit befuddling to me. I am not sure why because I take a look at this Army team and I am not impressed this year. I do like the gentlemen and all that they do for our country, but they can do a little bit more at the free throw line because they're shooting 61% with 14.3 turnovers per game despite not being necessarily an up-tempo team. So it's not necessarily great. You've had Jalen Rucker doing a good job out there in the backcourt. 
15 and a half points, four and a half boards, three assists per game. So that's been rock solid. And Josh Caldwell has helped out with a little bit over three assists. These guys combined for three steals per game as well, 12 and a half points per game. But you really don't have a lot of size for the team. You got one guy giving you more than five and a half rebounds per game, and Mr. Charlie Peterson, great name with nine points per game. And then you take a look at the flip side at Long Island, and it certainly has been a little bit of a tough start to the year for them. But you take a look at the competition that they played, and it's understandable. Isaac Conte winds up coming in from Monster. He's starting to find it with this offense 12 and a half points, 7.8 rebounds per game. And then you've got Ty Flowers and Earl Penn. These two guys are combining for 29 points, 12 and a half rebounds, five assists. So these guys have done it all now with Longwood. The big key is being able to find some ancillary pieces, be able to help out with the team. Someone like a Trey Wood, who's been able to give you right around five points per game. Alex Rivera, only about four and a half points per game themselves. And both of these guys have been rough from three-point ranges. Long Island is committing right around 16 and a half to overs a game. They're shooting 30% from three, but I do think that the ancillary pieces off the bench are going to be able to do a little bit of a better job, and I just can't trust Army with the way that they've been shooting free throws, so it's a spot at which I do think that Long Island is going to be pushing the tempo, set them as a 7.5 point favorite, made this total 149, so I'm going to be laying the points and going over. 306-193, 306-184 is a canceled game between Loyola Chicago and Norfolk State, so we go to 306-195, 306-196. Monmouth is going to be playing us at Colgate. Colgate is going to be a 3.5 point underdog with your total anywhere between 144.5 and 145. I've set Monmouth as a five-point favorite personally. I take a look at this Monmouth backcourt, and it has been absolutely superb for the team. George Pappas, Shavar Reynolds are combining for 32 points per game. You've got Pappas being able to do all three assists, and both of these guys combined to shoot right in the pocket of about 40% per three and 87% at the free throw line. They have been superb. Monmouth as a collective, they shoot 35.5% per three, 80.5% at the free throw line. Rebounding could be a little bit tough, but Nakai Ruti has been able to give you seven rebounds per game. You've been able to get right around 11 points and five boards per game as well out of a little bit of a forgotten piece in Marquise McClary. He has been a good glue guy shooting 37% from three-point range, has been able to give the team 10-plus points in now four of the team's last six games as well. And then you got Walker Miller, actually the brother of head coach Wes Miller over there at Cincinnati. He's coming from UNC, and he's given the team 14 points and right around six and a half boards. A good, versatile big man that has been able to do a tremendous job of being able to give the team some life, at least a block in each of the team's last five games as well. And then you take a look at Colgate, and they were actually without Nelly Cummings in their last game, and there is a big question as to whether or not he's going to be going in this game as well. And even if he does wind up going, because I think that he winds up suiting it up and plays in this game. I don't think that he's going to be 100% though, so I did wind up docking a point from Colgate with that. If he would be out entirely, I would dock more like four points because he is that meaningful. 17 points, shoots 50% from three, three and a half assists, 1.7 seals per game. He has been terrific. Outside of that, you've got Jack Ferguson, who's able to give you 12 points, shoots 40% from three. Ryan Moffat shoots 45% from distance, nine and a half points per game with him as well. Your main facilitator and Tucker Richardson gives out four and a half assists, five and a half boards, right around nine points per game, so he has been solid. And then Keegan Records is able to give you six rebounds per but I do think that Monmouth does a solid job down low. Monmouth, they have covered the spread in every one of their games this season. I think that that continues. Set this all at 147. Got a pair of teams that they're actually with regards to possessions per game towards the middle of all of college basketball. They're just really sick and efficient, and I think that they're going to hit shots once again. So going over, and I'm willing to lay up to five here with Monmouth. 306, 187, 306, 198. You've got the smart kids of Harvard, and they're going to be taking on Holy Cross. Holy Cross is hoping to not be wholly awful as a 17-point underdog in your total on this game. It's 140 and a half. 
I said Harvard as an 18-point favorite. Holy Cross has been wholly awful this year. You've got Kyrell Lutz, who's been able to give you 13 points per game. He has been good out there in the backcourt. And Gerald Gates, after missing the first couple games of the season, he's been solid down low. 12 points, 8 rebounds. Guys is able to shoot 37.5% from 3. And Holy Cross is a collective. They shoot 36.3% from 3-point range. Problem is, they dole out 9.5 assists per game. In terms of assists per made bucket, they are one of the worst teams at all. God, basketball, they're a very disjointed bunch. Meanwhile, you take a look at Harvard, and you've got two star players for this team. Noah Kirkwood, along Chris Ledlam. These guys are combining for 33 points per game. Ledlam, 9 rebounds, shoots 35% from 3. Kirkwood, 88.5% free throw line, 34% from 3. He's able to dish out 3 assists per game. You've been able to get a good helping hand from Lucas Sokic as well. He's been able to give the team right around 41% 3 point shooting, 12 points, 3 assists. So, I do like what he's able to bring to the table. And then you take a look at this Harvard team as a collective. They shoot 73.5% in 3 throw line, 36% from 3. They generate right around 9.5 seals per game. Headline by Kirkwood and his 2.8 per contest, so I do like what you're able to get there. And this is a team that they've been dealing with. A couple of injuries. Kale Catchings has been missing the last few games, so that's been a little bit of an issue for the team, but we've had Luis Lesman be able to come back after he wanted missing a few games, and he's looked relatively solid. It's given the team at least eight points, and now each of the team's last five games, it combined five seals in the last four games, so I think that Holy Cross is going to be overwhelmed. Harvard is one of the slower and more controlled teams in all of college basketball. Holy Cross, I think, is going to be committing a bunch of turnovers. Harvard does a solid job of being able to guard the three-point arc as well, so that's a kryptonite for Holy Cross. Wanna making Harvard as a result an 18-point favorite, so laying the points. That this total at 130 as well, so we're gonna be diving under 306, 199, 306, 200. Florida Gulf Coast is gonna be playing host to Mercer. The Bears of Mercer are finding themselves as a three-point underdog, and your total on this game is 144. With Florida Gulf Coast, I want to make them a five-point favorite. I feel like bookmakers are still a little bit off on this team because you do wind up seeing a sample size of data with Florida Gulf Coast without many of their top players for the first, I would say, two or three games of the season. Now that everyone's firing all cylinders, this has been a team that has looked very good. Tavion Dunmartin, the transfer from Duquesne, about 19.5 points, 5 assists, shooting 41% per 3. Dunk City as a collective. They shoot 36.5% per 3. Now the 15 turnovers, that's a little bit unsightly, but you do have a guy, Kevin Samuel, down low, who's able to dominate. 10.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, 3 blocks per game, and then you've got someone like a Caleb Cato, who's been able to give the team 9 points, 2.5 assists. Has been in a bigger role in past years with all the transfers. He has taken a little bit of a setback, but is still shooting 40% from 3-point range. Meanwhile, for Mercer, Felipe Haas is a very versatile player. 15.5 points, 6 boards, 2.5 assists, 2 steals per game as well. He's able to shoot 51% from 3-point range as a 6'9 combo player. Neftali Alvarez has cut down on the turnovers. Nearly a turnover fewer per game this season than last season. He's been able to do a solid job giving out 14 points and right around 3.5 assists per game. James Glisson, the third, 10.5 points, 5.5 boards, has really been able to come on strong. He's shooting 37% from 3-point range, but you take a look at the last four games from 12-plus points in every one of them, so he has been able to do a good job there. And then you take a look at someone like Sean Walker Jr. Not necessarily the biggest piece for the team, but he's been able to give the team at least 5 points in four of the team's last five games. Shoots 92% the free throw line, right around 4.5 points, 2.5 assists, so does a good job of being able to mix and shake, but with Florida Gulf Coast, I do like the depth that you've got in the backcourt with this team. I do think that Samuels is going to be by far the most dominant low post player in this game as well, so I did wind up setting Dunk City as a 5-point favorite as a result. Made this total 143 as well. Dunk City has been playing at a relatively constant middle pace, and I can tell that Greg Gary over there at Mercer is looking to slow things down a little bit, so made this total 143, so barely going under, and willing to lay the points with 
Dumb City. 306201, 306202. You've got Kent State, and they're going to be playing also Southern. Southern is an 11.5 point underdog with your total on this game, 135.5. I also made the total 135.5, so we're going to be waiting on the line move here. It would be a spot in which, if it winds up being this exact 135.5, I'd be taking a look at the under before I'd be taking a look at the over because you do have a Kent State team that right now is in the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game in all of college basketball. But when it comes to Southern, what I really like about this team, Tyrone Lyons and all that he's been able to provide. He has come in and has been absolutely terrific for this team. 14.5 points, 4.5 boards, shooting 43% for three. Now, Brandon Whitley is also shooting 44% for distance with 12 points per game. But with Southern, this is also a team that they shoot 68% at the free throw line. They turn the ball over 15 times per game. P.J. Bird has come in and he's been able to do a solid job. 8 points, 3 assists per game. But when it comes to Southern, I think that they're going to have a tough time against a Kent State team that we're going to call what it is. They just have more size in general. You've been able to get 10 points, 6 boards out of Justin Hamilton at 6'11". He's a guy that's able to shoot three. He doesn't necessarily do so well, but he has adapted a little bit more to playing more in the post. Has been able to give this team a block and a half per game. Malik Jacobs and Sincere Carey are combining for 28 points per game. Jacobs, seven and a half rebounds and three assists per game. Carey, five boards, five assists. Both guys give you a little bit over a seal per game, and both guys shoot between 86 and a half and 87.2% of the free throw line. The 81.3% free throw shooting for Kent State in the top five in all of college basketball. Southern is really going to need Damian Sears to be on his best down low. So long you give the team five and a half points per game, but what they're using him for, rebounding. Six boards per game. It's also given the team two blocks per game to his credit, but when it comes to Southern, I think that they're going to have a little bit of a tough time in this spot because even though they've been generating 11 seals per game, you take a look at the competition that they played, and it has not necessarily been so great. I think that Kent State does a good job of being able to control the game, not turn themselves over too much. So I did wind up saying Kent State as a 13.5 point favorite as a result. And like I said, I made the total 135.5 myself. Here at the 135, I would be looking under before I'd be looking over, though. So just keep that in mind. 306.03, 306.204. A cancel game between Bryant and Cornell. So we wrap things up with 306.05, 306.06. You've got UCC. Santa Barbara and the Gauchos are going to be playing host to Florida A&M. A&M is a 14.5 point underdog with your total on this game 135. I do think that Barbara should be able to win this game relatively convincingly but you take a look at Florida A&M and this is a team that year in and year out they cover these big spreads like this and I really like what you're able to get out of MJ Randolph. MJ Randolph is not a guy that's going to go out there and shoot threes and for that matter Florida A&M in the bottom 30 with regards to percentage of their shots taken from three point range but with Randolph. 19.5 points, 6 boards, 3.5 says 2.6 steals per game, and he shoots 43% from three. So, I mean, this guy does it all. You take a look at him, and he scored at least 20 points in now four of the team's last five games. Those games were against a non-D1 school, Florida Gulf Coast, Akron, Cincinnati, and Santa Clara. So, I mean, that is pretty darn impressive right there. Now, you need to get a little bit more out of some of these other pieces. You're able to get right around nine points out of DJ Turnitup Jones. He's been able to give the team four and a half boards per game. You have been able to get right around nine and a half points out of Jalen Spear as well. Spear is someone that wanted missing a couple games this season, so he's reacclimating himself into the offense. But three plus assists, and now three out of the team's highest four games. And then for UC Santa Barbara, Amandu Sal has been really sewing things up down low. 18 points, eight boards, shoots 54.5% from three point range for a team that shoots only about 32.5% from three now. What I really think is going to be big is Calvin Weissart moving forward. A guy that while he was at Georgia Southern was able to get a bunch of seals, eight and a half points, three boards, two assists, 1.6 seals per game, and shooting 52% from three. Obviously not sustainable and when it comes to Josh Pierre-Louis, he's been able to give the team 10.5 points, 5 boards, but you don't necessarily have ideal size outside of Armandu, so, so that is something that has been hurting this team a little bit, and I was expecting a little bit more this year out of A.J. Mitchell. Mitchell has been able to shoot 38.5% from 3 and has given out 5 assists per game, but he's only been able to score 6 points per game. I thought that he'd be a guy that would come in and give the team a little bit more pop with regards to the offense, so I do think that that is a big reason why UC Santa Barbara is continuing to play as slow as they do year in and year out. This is a team that's in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game. Florida 
Florida A&M is not a team that's looking to gun it either. Set this all at 127 as a result, so diving under. I made Santa Barbara a 12-point favorite, so taking the points from Florida A&M, and that'll write things up for the Sunday edition of Coast to Coast Soups. Hopefully you guys enjoyed what I wound up doing in the second segment. If you want more of this, or if you've got suggestions, questions, comments, what I have you for this podcast, you got one or two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Jaren's 41. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find the five-star review. I'm going to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be right back. 